when you were in school, and I've asked this question before, did you ever, were you ever a captain maybe at recess where you got to choose your team to play basketball or volleyball or football? And, and if you were, what was the criteria that you used to make your choices? Did you get the most popular or if you were playing basketball, did you get the tallest? Or if you were uh, running races, did you pick the fastest? Uh, what were your criteria that you used? And on the flip side of that, were you ever the last one picked? And I've shared before that that was me growing up. I know you look at me now and it's hard to imagine, but I, when I was in high school, I wasn't very athletic and I was kind of a band nerd. That's kind of what, uh, what, what I did. I was in band and debate and that uh, didn't, uh, a lot of folks weren't, didn't care a whole lot about that. But if you were ever the last one picked or one of the last one picked, how did that make you feel? Uh, did, did you feel sometimes left out? Did you feel sometimes like you didn't belong? And sometimes without even realizing it, we carry this same sort of us and them accepted and not accepted in and out in our, uh, into our adult lives. When we, we look at our world today in our society, alcoholics and homeless folks, drug addicts, the disabled, they quite often hang on the edges of acceptance. Uh, even now when we'll go into Walmart or into Kroger or into Publix and you see somebody that is, that is, uh, physically challenged or, or maybe mentally challenged, people look at them differently, don't they? And they, they look at them like they don't belong. They look at them like you're not like everybody else. And sometimes this attitude spills over into the church as well. And it ought not do that, but it does because the church, guess what, is made up of human beings, right? And in our humanness, sometimes if we're not careful, we break off into, into uh, cliques. And sometimes the church tends to shy away or to stay away from those messed up, to stay away from those who are marginalized. There are a lot of people in Fairview today that don't feel welcome in a church because they think that people are going to look down on them or, or say that they don't belong. And, uh, and if we're not careful, we get in our minds that it's us versus them. It's all of us here versus them out there. And can I suggest to you before we get into this lesson at all this morning that the only difference between us and them is Jesus. I'm going to say that again. The only difference between us and them is Jesus. And churches tend, if we're not careful when we evangelize, we, we tend to evangelize those people that look like us. We tend to evangelize those people that act like <laughs> us. We and that's human nature, I suppose. We tend to gravitate it. It's amazing when you go to like Vanderbilt or to St. Thomas into a big doctor's waiting room. Uh, you'll see people, if, if I walk into a waiting room and I don't know anybody and I'm looking for a seat, quite often I'm going to pick a seat next to somebody that kind of looks like me and dresses like me and kind of looks like I might have something in common with them. And, and in church sometimes we... We, we plan our evangelistic outreach events toward maybe those that uh, are well-educated or those who, who have money or talent or, or maybe they could be teachers or 
And when we look at church growth, we hope that what we get uh, are new folks that come into the community uh, to, to join themselves to us who are already Christians, and we're glad to have those folks. I want, I want us to be a church that's that way. But should we not also be focused on reaching the lost, reaching those that are on the margins, reaching on those that, that are outside? And, and this lesson this morning is not an easy lesson to preach. I, I preach some messages that are, are pretty easy. The, the series we just finished about God is bigger, that's easy to preach because we need to hear that. that. That's a good thing to preach. But this subject we're going to talk about today is something we talked about last week and the last couple of weeks in our Romans class on Sunday night. And the Lord laid it on my heart to, to make it a broader message to us today. And when I say this, y'all don't get excited and don't leave. Uh, I promise you what we're going to talk about today, I'm going to give scripture for. Because bottom line, it doesn't matter what I think about something. What doesn't matter is what God says about something, right? So as we look at that, everybody's going, what's he going to talk about? What's he going to do? I like that. I'm not going to tell you. No, I'm just kidding. Perhaps the big, when we talk about us and them, perhaps the biggest them and the people that have become the elephant in the room as far as our Christian society today are those people who label themselves gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender. What do you think when I mention those terms? Do you think about an us versus them? Do you think about, uh, well, they are way different than us, or the gospel wouldn't apply to them, or, or they wouldn't be interested, and society has taken up their cause, and labels anybody who speaks against homosexuality as homophobic or haters. And then the church as a whole has pushed back, and we've said some things and we've done some things that are at best questionable and at their worst ungodly and unchristian. And left in the middle are two groups. One group are the gays and the lesbians who honestly want to come to the Lord, but they don't know how to do it, and they don't know what to do. And then it's honest Christians who say, how do we deal with that? What do we? How do we deal with that in our world and in our society today? And today's lesson is going to deal with several things. First of all, and the place to start with every issue is, what does God have to say about it? Because it doesn't matter what I have to say. It doesn't matter what you have to say. It's what God has to say about something. And then we have to look at, how do Christians deal with this issue? How do we do it from a biblical perspective? And then finally, we're going to look at some steps for all of us. That's not like a good plan. That's where we're going to start this morning. What does God say about homosexuality? In Genesis 1-1, God says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Y'all remember that verse? So if God created... He's the creator. Does he not have the right to say something to his creation as to how they should act and how they should be and what they should do and how they should live? I'm convinced when people say there is no God, and for those of you that are like me that every now and then will post some something about God on, on Facebook, quite often we'll get an answer that says that's stupid or that's this or that's that. I'm convinced the biggest reason why people don't want to believe that there's a God 
is because if you admit there's a God, you've got to admit that God has the right to tell you what to do, right? And so people don't want to do that. But God, if God created, God's got the right to speak, and God does speak. We're going to start in the book of Leviticus this morning. Leviticus 18. Leviticus chapter 18. And look at, we're going to focus on verse 22. Moses says in Leviticus 18, verse 22, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Now understand that in the book of Leviticus, God doesn't just point out homosexuality. Leviticus 18, if we, we, this is one of the chapters we uh, have just read in our daily Bible readings. There's a whole chapter that talks about God's plan for uh, sex in, in the old law. And so the whole chapter talks about heterosexual sins and homosexual sins. But it points out in verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. That word abomination or despicable that you might see in your, in your translation, most often in the Old Testament when that's used, it's usually used to point out food, like a, like a, like a food that they weren't allowed to eat that was unclean or unlawful sacrifices to false gods. However, in Leviticus 18, that word's used four times. And all four times it's used to deal with inappropriate sexual behavior. Not just homosexuality, but inappropriate all the way around. Look at verse, uh, just for example, verse 13. I'm just going to pick this one out. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister. Verse 17, you shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. Uh, you shall not take a woman, verse 18, as a rival to your, your sister to uncover her nakedness. So understand, Leviticus 18, God is not just talking about homosexuality. God is talking about improper sexual conduct, homosexual and heterosexual. Well, here's another verse. Turn over to Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them shall have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. So God tells them and under the old law that homosexuals are to be put to death. But notice he doesn't stop at homosexuality. Go back to verse uh, 9. For everyone who curses his father or mother shall be put to death. Verse 10, the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. The man who lies with his father's wife, or in other words, the man who lies with his stepmother, uh, has uncovered his father's nakedness, they shall be put to death. Verse 12, if a man lies with his daughter-in-law, they shall be, so you're talking about basically incest there. So it's not just homosexuality, but it is, God's got a, a plan and, and the way he wants men and women to live, 
and there are certain violations of that that God says is an abomination. But someone says, Brother Andy, this same book that says put people to death also says don't eat pork chops and don't eat catfish. And, and that is true and that is a valid point, right? Because that same book of Leviticus talks about all of that. So that raises a very valid question. And here's that question. How do we know that something in the Old Testament, is it just for the Israelites, or is it something that God continues to be a timeless principle into even into our day? And the way we come to that conclusion is, what does the New Testament say about it? We understand that as Christians, we are bound by the New Testament, by the New Covenant. So what does the New Covenant say? For example, in... Uh, Leviticus 19.18, Moses says, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, is that a law that is for all people, or is that a law that's just for the Israelites? Jesus says, what does the New Testament say? Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, verse 31, love your neighbor as yourself. As a matter of fact, nine out of the Ten Commandments that were given in the Old Testament are reiterated or talked about again in the New Testament. The only commandment that isn't is the commandment about the Sabbath day. And we understand that in the New Testament, our Sabbath day is the Lord's day. We find our Sabbath in the Lord, and that's a whole different uh, whole different uh, subject. But we understand there are some things that are, well, the, the reason why it's okay for us to eat catfish and uh, pork, aren't you glad we can? I told somebody the second greatest thing of the new covenant besides the blood of Jesus is pagan. But the reason why it's okay for us to eat bacon is because that was a dietary restriction that was put on the Jews. And I will say this, just because we can eat it doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy for us, amen? Uh, a lot of the diet, if you look at the things that were unclean in the Old Testament, a lot of them are foods that Doctors have understood today and nutritionists as being unhealthy for us. So that, that that's a whole other deal. But if we're going to look at this idea of sexual behavior, homosexual behavior, we would need to ask the question, does the New Testament say anything about it? If the New Testament doesn't say anything about it, then chances are it was restricted to the Jews. Well, the New Testament does talk about it. Look at the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Just to lay some groundwork for those that haven't been in the Romans class, and those of you who have been, act like you've never heard it before. Or uh, it, it won't hurt us to, to get a little bit of a repeat for that. But Paul is writing the book of Romans to the church at Rome. Uh, when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, when he wrote uh, the, the letters to the Thessalonians, to the Ephesians, Paul had visited those churches. Paul has never been to Rome. And he is right, he wants to go to Rome, but he hasn't been yet. And he is writing to them. And he is basically building up to verse 16 
uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for all who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Paul says, I have some good news that I want to tell you about as Rome. I want to tell you Romans about. This good news will bring salvation. This good news will bring you in to Jesus Christ. I want to tell you about it. The, 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 the Gospels reveal, God reveals that. But God reveals something else too. Verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed in the Gospel. But also in 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. There are two sides to God. Everybody wants to talk about the love of God and the mercy of God. And, and God is love and God is merciful and God is just. But there's another side to God that because of God's holiness and because of God's righteousness, he has to punish sin. God wouldn't be a holy, righteous God if he did, if he let the, the sinners go unpunished for their sin, right? We wouldn't say a judge was a very good judge if he let the criminals go. Uh, so there are two sides, and the gospel reveals both of those sides. But we get into a problem here in verse 18. Uh, God's revealed his wrath. He, he's revealed himself to people, but they suppress the truth. Suppress means to hold something down. Since the beginning of time, God has revealed himself. He's revealed himself in nature. If I were to go out in the woods and go, we were all on a, we we're going to take a church field trip out through the woods. And we found my watch, or a watch just like this. This is a citizen wristwatch. What if I, what would you think of me if I were to say, well, look at this wristwatch. It has, it, it's silver and gold and it keeps perfect time. And I, I guess I got lucky that I just happened to find this watch that happened for a chance. It, it, all, the, all the materials, the metals, the dials, and they, it all just made itself. There's no designer that made this watch. Would you think that's a little bit nuts? But here's a question. When you go and, and try this, the next time you go to Smoky Mountain, Get out of Gatlinburg for a minute and go up to Newfound Gap or to Clayman's Dome, the top of the mountain, as high as you can get at midnight. I know it's hard to do because we like to go to sleep. But look out when there's no light and look out at the stars and the planets that you see. I was fortunate uh, one time in one of our trips to the Smokies in Newfound Gap's parking lot, the University of Tennessee's astrology department, they had their big telescopes uh, set up. And I could see, they, they let us look, and you could see Neptune, and you could see the, the, the uh, rings around Saturn, you could see Pluto. And I said, what's that in the distance, that, that foggy? Uh, what I, and they said, that's the next galaxy over. And my thought was, how could you see this and think there's not a God? That it all just happened. That 
the earth belched one day and boom, out all this came. When you think of the fact that if the earth was any further away from the sun, we'd freeze. If we were any closer to the sun, we'd burn up. The earth doesn't spin off of its axis. As a matter of fact, the orbit of the earth is so precise that meteorologists could look 20 years into the future and say that on February 20th, 2042 sunrise is going to be at this particular moment because it's so precise. Just like a watch is precise because of the designer, God's revealed his existence to a world. You don't have to have a Bible to understand there's a God. As a matter of fact, God's also revealed in us a conscience. There are certain things that society generally says is wrong. For most societies, killing innocent people is wrong. For most societies, stealing is wrong. That's because God has in it that there's a, there's a little bit of right and wrong in us, whether we believe in God or not. So God has revealed himself. But people don't want to see God, and they, they put that down. They, they suppress it. Verse 19, because what may be known of God is shown in them or manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Now look at verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, and the lust of the hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. God says, I've revealed myself to you. Paul says, from the beginning of time, God has been in creation. From the beginning of time, just our conscience tells us there's a God. Did you know every civilization that's ever been discovered worships God? Some form of God. There's never been a non-worshipping civilization ever found. It may not be Jehovah God, but it's God. That's it. We're wired that way. But what humans tend to do, and by the way, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When God told Adam and Eve, you can eat of any fruit of the garden, just don't eat off the fruit that's in the middle of the garden. If you do, you'll die. Remember what Satan told Eve? Did God really say this? And every temptation that's ever been put forth in mankind since then has been a variation of that. Did God really say that? God's revealed things to us, but we have suppressed it. We've suppressed the truth. The people refuse to see. And God lets them go their way. Verses 24 and 25. God gave them up 
and the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their body among themselves, who exchange the truth of God for not a lie, but the lie. What is the lie? The lie is there is no God. Man's the greatest God. We quit worshiping God and glorifying God, and we start worshiping ourselves. What do I want? What what feels good to me? What tastes good to me? What what I what do I want? I'm my own God. Remember what Satan told Eve. God's trying to hold things back from you. Eat this fruit so you can be like God. And so the truth of God is being suppressed by the lie. And that's been going on since the Garden of Eden, and it will go on until we get to the end of time. And notice how God God says that we take our thoughts, we take our desires, we quit worshiping God, we quit uh, listening to God. And he gets very specific now in verse 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, all the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. So, Paul very specifically, his exhibit A is, what does it mean in verse 25 when it says that we exchange the truth of God for the lie and we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed. For, well, how do they do that? Well, one of the ways they do it, verse 26, is the women quit having relations with men and started having relations with women. By the way, this is the only verse in Scripture that specifically talks about lesbianism. Generally, when you, because up until the 20th century, homosexuality was generally a predominantly male phenomenon. But Paul starts with the women. And he says, well, how do you know what he's talking about? It doesn't say uh, that, it doesn't specifically say lesbian. It just says they exchange the natural use. Verse 27 explains it. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful. So, would we all agree that these two verses are pretty plain when God says that homosexuality is against his will and against what his plan is for mankind? Now, it just it doesn't stop there. And understand when Paul writes this, Paul is not trying to point out specific people. Paul is building an argument. Paul is building an argument about the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God to salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, Romans 1.16. But before Paul tells us how the gospel works... <laughs> Paul does that brilliantly in chapters 5 through 8. He's got to show us that we all need the gospel. And so Paul is building a case that 
everybody is, that everybody sinners. He wraps it up in chapter 3, verse 23. We'll, we'll get there in a minute. But notice this. Here's where Christians over time have messed up, I think. We have read verses 26 and 27. We say, aha, thou shalt not do this. And we stop. And we don't read any further. Can I suggest to all of us this morning that anytime we get the attitude of aha, we're probably headed down the wrong road. Notice what Paul says here. Let's keep reading. Verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, that's those bad sins. Those are, that's what bad people do. Homosexuality, adultery, that's what those bad people do. But then look, full of envy, murder, strife, means they like to argue, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers. Y'all ever met a whisperer? Like, I shouldn't tell you this about Bob, but here's what the that's, that's whispering. Then backbiting. Haters of God. Violent. Proud. Posters. Inventors of evil things. Look at the next one. Disobedience to parents. Why in the world would Paul put disobedient to parents in the middle of this big old list of bad sins? Keep reading. I'll give you the answer here in just a minute. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Here's my question. Has he talked about you yet in his list? He has me. I'm there. Why does he put disobedient to parents? How many of us have been disobedient to our parents? All of us, right? All the parents. How come y'all all looked at the young people when we said that? I got news for y'all. I was disobedient to mine, and y'all were too. You know what Paul's trying to get us to see? Now, he doesn't stop here in chapters 2 and 3. Chapter 2, he's going to talk about the moralist. People that try to get to heaven because of their good works. Paul says, you can't get there that way. Then he's going to talk about the Jew in chapter 3. And he says, you can't get to heaven by religion. Why does Paul go to all of this trouble? Because he wraps up his argument. Look at Romans 3.23. Everything from chapter 118 is building to chapter 3, verse 23. There's people that have lived immorally. There's people that have tried to get to heaven through their morality. And then there's people that try to get to heaven through their religion. Paul says in 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've done some deep research on this word, all. Can I let you in on what it means? All means all. 
all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Is homosexuality wrong per scripture? Yes. Is backbiting wrong? Yes. Is adultery and promiscuous heterosexual activity wrong? Yes. God's got a plan for mankind. God gave us our sex drive. And God's plan is one man, one woman for life. That's God's plan. And we humans mess that up. And fortunately, because we've all seen to come short of the glory of God, God's made a way. So then in chapter 5, Paul's going to start saying, now, since we've determined we're all sinners, let's talk about the gospel. But there's one more list I want you to see, this time in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because this opens up the next door I want to take us through. We're almost done. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 9 begins. Do you not know that the unrighteous that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now watch verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were watched. You are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Here's another list. This list includes homosexual behavior. It also includes some other things. But what I want us to see here is Paul says some of you, that's Christians. We can also say some of us, before we were saved, we were that way. He says, but, because we've come to Jesus, we've been washed, we've been sanctified, we've been justified by the name of Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit, it is never too late to get clean. No matter what sin we may have committed, Jesus Christ can cleanse us from that sin. No matter what our desires might be, when we're saved and we have the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can help us overcome those desires. I understand that, and our society has brainwashed people. We want to say, well, I, I was just made that way. That, that's just the way I am. And there are, honestly, think there are some people that they've been involved in that lifestyle so long, perhaps they can't think of a time when they consciously made that choice. And I'm willing to admit, and, and you have to admit, that God makes some males with more feminine characteristics, some females with more male characteristics. God makes some folks handsome. God most makes some women pretty. He makes some of us ugly. He makes some of us genetically predisposed towards some addictions. Uh, what people who study alcoholism have identified genes that uh, just like there's some families it seems like it run, alcoholism runs in families a lot of times there's a genetic uh, predisposition to that 
But let's not get excited about that, because you know what happened at the fall? When man and woman sinned, everything about us became depraved. Everything about us fell under the curse of sin. That includes genes. That includes nature. That includes everything. Sin affects it all. And so when we look at this idea that, well, God made us that way, can I say that we live in a society that no one wants to take the blame for anything? I'll talk to my inmates. How come you're in jail? Well, the police put me here. Why are you in prison? Well, my wife ratted out on me. Somebody asked, why are you not out of prison yet? Why did you, why did, why was your parole denied? Well, these old officers, they keep writing me up. And I told you about the guy that I had in the kitchen with the chicken nuggets. And uh, he, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm a chaplain. And before I was a chaplain, I was a food service manager. That's where I started in the prison. And one day, there was a skinny guy. He's as skinny as Mike. A skinny guy. And when he came to work, he was skinny. But when he left work under his jacket, he looked like he was nine months pregnant. So I said to myself, self, he has something underneath that jacket. So I said, come in my office. What have you got underneath your jacket? And he said, uh, chicken nuggets. I said, are they your chicken nuggets? He said, no. I said, uh, and he said, I he said, I go up for parole next week. You're not going to miss my parole up, are you? And I said, no, but you may very well have missed your parole up. He said, well, he said, this is, it, it's uh, it's the gang. It's in, my, it's in my unit. They made me do this. I said, just out of curiosity, why were you incarcerated? He said, for burglary. I said, how long have you been here? He said, eight years. I said, let me get this straight. You were stealing when you got here. Eight years later, you're still stealing. I said, you need to find something else to do. You're not good at stealing. But our world, y'all listen to me. I say that humorously. But our world has made us believe that we're not responsible for anything. That if we're not successful, it's someone else's fault. If we're not successful, it's our parents' fault. If we're not successful, it's our wife's fault. If we're not successful, it's our boss's fault. When the Titans lost that ball game that should not be mentioned. Everybody wanted to blame Ryan Tannehill. It's Ryan Tannehill's fault. It's the quarterback's fault. And Ryan Tannehill played a terrible game. So did the whole offense. So did the guy calling the plays. Where I'm going with this is, to say it's not my fault is against Scripture. The Scripture says, such were some of you. They were born with the same desires we are. They were born with the same predispositions we are born. Humans are humans are humans, right? So such were some of you. How did they get over their dispositions? Jesus. 
Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And that leads to the next question. How do we get over it? If I have same-sex desires, how do I get over it? And can I say this? Can I say those same-sex desires are real? Homosexual desires are real just as much as heterosexual desires are real. Uh, the, the desire for alcohol, the desire for drugs, they are all real. How do we get over those desires that we have that aren't pleasing to God? Can I tell you there's one answer, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can cure whatever ails you. Jesus Christ can fix whatever's wrong. Homosexuality, murder, idolatry, gossip, gluttony, all these things are symptoms of the same dreaded disease. And that same dreaded disease is sin. With the big capital letters, S-I-N, sin. We're born in sin, we continue to sin because that's the way we're made, and that's the way that we're wired. What's the definition of sin? Sin is rebellion against God. I want to do what I want to do. It tastes good, it looks good, it smells good, it feels good. I want to do it. God says you can't do it. Well, did God really say that? And we start trying to twist the scriptures to make the scriptures say something that it doesn't say. Jesus Christ, y'all, is the answer to all of it. Jesus Christ is the cure. And that's what Romans goes on to tell us, that Jesus Christ, just like sin entered the world through Adam, Death entered the world through Adam. Eternal life is given through Jesus Christ. If you cure the disease, if Jesus Christ is the cure, and you cure the disease, you know what happens? The symptoms start to disappear. Now, a couple of basic questions here. How should we treat homosexuals among our friends and our family? We all have friends and family who are gay or lesbian or transgender, whatever the whatever the title you want to use. How do we treat those people? Can I say that we should treat them the same as everybody else? Can I say that they are individuals that God has placed in your life and in my life who desperately need to hear that God loves them? They've been told they're wrong for a long, long time. What they need to hear is God loves them. And that Jesus died for them. And he could save them too. What if homosexuals show up in church? What if somebody somebody says, Brother Andy, what if some homosexuals come to Old New Hope? I'm going to answer that question by making a comment. A church should be a hospital for sinners. And not a spa for the saints. All of us have issues. The presence of sin hasn't been taken away from any of us. But can I also say this? Homosexuals, heterosexuals, alcoholics, drug addicts, liars, gossips. All of us as Christians have been called to live holy lives. Just because we're Christians doesn't excuse our sin. I welcome drug addicts. Old New Hope. I welcome alcoholics to Old New Hope. I welcome homosexuals to Old New Hope. You know why? Because we have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus.
we have an opportunity for Jesus to come into their hearts. And I fully believe that there's no addiction that Jesus Christ can overcome. I fully believe there's no unhealthy, unholy desire that Jesus Christ can't help you overcome and overtake. When we are born again, our want-tos ought to change. It doesn't mean we'll never have that problem again. One of my clerks I was talking to on Friday, he said, you know, we were talking about another clerk that just always seems to struggle with, with drug addiction. And you wouldn't believe it, but drugs are probably easier to get in the prison than it is in, in the free world. And he, he's really, he loves God, I, I'm not, there's no doubt about his sincerity. He loves God, but he struggles with that addiction. My clerk said, when I came in here eight years ago, he said, I was more messed up than this other fellow. He said, but I got here, I got saved, and he said, God took that away from me. He said, I don't want that anymore. And he said, I'm just blessed. That He said, but I know everybody's not like me. But I do know this. Jesus I believe that with every fiber of my being or I wouldn't be preaching. If I didn't believe Jesus, he, he saved me. And he saved you. Well, what advice do we give to the homosexuals? Can I say the same thing as a heterosexual that's dealing with sexual issues? Confess to God. Tell God your struggle. God, I have these thoughts, I have these desires that I ought not be having. Help me overcome them. And I encourage you to make friends in church. Let the church be your support system. I'm going to say something, church. Not only do we need each other to help one, not only do we need friends, we need to be that someone comes to you with an issue where you say, I'm struggling with this, can, can you pray for me? Can, can, you, uh, can you listen to me? Can you talk through this with me? Please be that kind of friend that prays with them and doesn't, as soon as they leave, get on the telephone and tell everybody else, just guess who came to my house today. That's why the church has got the reputation that it's got. That's why people don't feel comfortable taking the mask off in church and revealing to each other the, the problems that we have and the struggles that we have. Because we're afraid what everybody's going to think. We're afraid that it's going to get all over the church and get spread all over Facebook and all over Fairview. We, we need each other. God put us all together to be a family, to help each other, to be with each other, to be that support system. So not only do we need each other, we need to be each other. We need to we need a friend, we need to be a friend. Does that make sense? Not only that. Ask the Holy Spirit to help us overcome desires that aren't pleasing to Him. Make this prayer. This prayer has helped me over different things over the years. Pray that God would help you love Him more than you love whatever it is that desire that you're fussing with and fighting with. 
Pray that God will let you love him more. Pray that Jesus will let you love him more. Lord, I, I, I'm dealing with this. Or I have a friend that's dealing with this. Help him love you more. Help her love you more. Turn it over to the Lord. Without the Lord, y'all, it, it's a lost battle. We humans were born in sin. We want to continue to sin. And we're going to live in the presence of sin until eternity. Now, that being said, as Christians, we ought to be on the road to becoming more like Jesus. That's a whole other sermon. But pray for the Lord's help. And as a Christian, what does God want me to do? Pray for those in your circle of influence who are burdened with this and other sin. It's not just homosexuality. It's not just transgender. That list of sins is great, and it includes my sins. It includes your sins. Let's pray for each other. And then I've got a question. Are there sins in the lists that we read in Romans 1 and 2 Corinthians 6 in which you struggle? If so, confess them. God knows it. God knows what you're dealing with. The first step, there are 12 steps in the Alcoholics Anonymous program. The first step is recognizing there's somebody greater than you and that you have a problem you can't fix. That's true with all of our sins. We need Jesus. Jesus Christ came to earth for all of us. Would you agree with me with that? He came for all of us. But all of us will take advantage of his gift. Some people will. David said in Psalm 51, Create in me a new heart, God. Search my heart to see if there's any improper 